we are going to wrap up our series called Tighten the Knot. One of the key things to the mission of our church as we, as we planted and as we established this church is we wanted to grow strong families in the town of Queen Creek. We believe that the church is only strong as the families and that the city is only strong as the families. So we got to make sure that we build strong families. And so strong families come from strong marriages. If mom and dad have a good relationship, then typically mom and dad and the kids have the good relationship. And so we, we started this series four weeks ago called Tighten the Knot, and that's what this has been about. Now, if you're in the room and you're single, or you're not married yet, you're not that age yet, maybe you're a teenager in the room, or maybe you're, you're just saying, you know what, I, I think I'm single and I'm good. In this series, you're going to find out that the principles that we talk about will apply to other things. And so you can take this and you can apply it to your friendships, your relationships with your parents, your relationships with your kids. We want us to have stronger, happier, healthier relationships. And so that's the point of this series, Tighten the Knot. Last week, we looked at some practical things that helped us have healthier marriages, not comparing ourselves to others, understanding that everything has a season, and finding qualified mentors to help us grow. In the week previous to that, we talked about how my response is my responsibility. We talked about how destructive marriages sometimes can look like trench warfare, where everybody's dug in and like, I'm not giving up on this issue, and we're gonna, you're going to see things my way or else. And the other person's like, I'm not going to give up. You're going to see things my way or else. And what happens is, is it just, it just kind of dies in a stalemate. And so we have to learn how to, to serve each other. We have to learn how to not give in. We have to learn how to operate in unity. Unity is not agreement. You and your spouse, you and your parent, you and your coworker, you and whoever else that you're trying to talk to won't agree on everything because you're two totally different people. You have two totally different experiences. You have two totally different perspectives. And God brings you together with people so that he can take the best of this perspective and the best of this perspective. And when you put them together, we really made a wise choice in the direction that we're going to go. And maybe I have some flaws. How many of you guys know that you have flaws, right? I have flaws. We all have flaws, right? Maybe I have some flaws and maybe the perspective of my spouse or the perspective of the person that I'm in relationship with, maybe that's there to cover my flaws. I'd sent that into my life to cover my flaws. And so that's why it's important to understand that unity isn't necessarily agreement. Unity is when I, as the husband, learn to humbly lean on the strengths of my wife, cover her weaknesses, and allow her to do the same. When we started this series, we said that for us to have healthy marriages, we need a better definition of love. Biblical love is not skipping through the daisies. It's not the latest pop song. What it is, is laying down your life, your needs, your wants, your desires, your way for the betterment of the other person. And so in marriage, I have the opportunity to partner with God to meet the needs of my spouse. And just like we need a deeper definition of love, we need a higher vision for marriage. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We need a deeper definition of love, but we need a higher vision of marriage. So we're going to wrap up the series today talking about the importance of having a vision for your marriage, your family, your relationships. And today we're going to call this message Partners in Climb. Partners in Climb. You guys like that? I like that. Anyway, so uh, in today's culture, we place a high value on the event of marriage. The day of the ceremony. I, I read this study and it says this. And this is according to the Knotts. 2019 wedding report. The average U.S. wedding costs $29,300. 
$29,300. Guys, I have four daughters. $29,300. That just like, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh no, well, I'm in trouble. $29,000. And, and, and roughly that's the same as a base model Jeep Wrangler, brand new. So those of you guys who wanted a Jeep Wrangler, Jeep Wrangler, pay for my daughter's wedding, Jeep Wrangler, pay for my daughter's wedding, you know. And so that's about how much it costs, or one year of college tuition, and that includes room and board. Incredible vision is needed for these events. Incredible vision. Like, so you have to pick out the venue. You have to pick out the dress. You have to pick out the rehearsal venue. You have to pick out the uh, rehearsal dinner venue. You have to pick out the bridesmaid dress. You have to pick out the, the flowers. You have to pick out the rings. You have to pick out the tuxedos, the minister, the reception. All these things, the list goes on and on and on, putting together this grand event. And many young women today, even if they aren't in a serious relationship, they have a vision board of what they want their, their ceremony to look like, and that's on their Pinterest. How many of you ladies have Pinterest? Raise your hand, all right? How many of you had, uh, some of you guys, this wasn't around before, but how many of you guys, if you were going to get married today, you would say, man, Pinterest would be my jam when it comes to putting my wedding together, all right? There we go. Listen, I have Pinterest, right, for like like church bathroom ideas or stuff like that. Like, that's what I have a Pinterest for. But it's just, I mean, hey, let's be real, right? You know, but, but it takes incredible vision to accomplish this event. In 2013, a young man, his last name was Leek, um, he saw his girlfriend's Pinterest board, over 220 photos called, and she called it My Dream Wedding. And what this guy did was legendary. All right, guys, like you're, you're, just go ahead and just, just resign yourself to the fact, men, that we're never going to live up to this. All right. He went online. He access to his girlfriend's vision board of her dream wedding. He proposed, got permission from her parents, from everybody there, proposed, put together the entire wedding on the same day, 220 images, perfectly hit it, nail on the head every single time had 74 flights flying into the city at one time for all this thing to happen, and he did it to surprise her. How legendary is that move? Incredible vision happens when coming off with, with a wedding, when putting up. So much vision goes into the day, but it's just one day. So much vision goes into this day, but it's just one day. What about the next day? What about the day after that? What about 15 years after that? What about 50 years after that? What is the vision that you have for your marriage? And so for some of us, we think, well, I mean, like, I understand that I got to do all these things. I got to make, you know, I got to make the, when I was getting married, I had to make the, the venue. I had to make the arrangements. I had to do all this stuff. And, and I really had to reserve all these things. But then, like, we're, I mean, once I get married, um, we're, we're married. Is that it? Is that it? Is that, is that like the highest thing that, that we can aspire to? What do you want your marriage to look like? What do you want your marriage to accomplish? A pastor named John Piper said this, there has never been a generation whose view of marriage is high enough. There's never been a generation whose view of marriage is high enough. And I don't know about you, like I, I, get, I get tired of like different generations like bickering. They do that on Facebook or like, well, you millennials, you da 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 da. Well, you baby boomers, you da 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 da. You know, it's all just bickering, bickering. Piper says, "Hey, look, there's none of us that have ever nailed a high enough view of marriage. 
So many of us, like we said, we had the vision for the day, but once it plays out in real life, you know, it's it, marriage is just so much more than sharing a checking account with a person. It's so much more than sharing a bedroom with a person, sharing kids with a person. Piper continues in saying this, the magnificence of marriage in the mind of God, it seems unintelligible to the world we live in where the main idol is self and its main doctrine is autonomy and its central act of worship is being entertained and two of its main shrines are television and cinema. Jesus talks about marriage though. Jesus tells us what marriage should be. He tells us what it should look like. He tells us, you know, hey guys, we, we could have a higher view of this. Deeper love, higher view of what marriage could be. And he says this in Mark chapter 10, verse uh, 6 through 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Mark 10, 6 through 9. He says this. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, and they shall no longer, uh, and, and they are no longer two but one flesh, and where therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Let's leave that verse up on the screen because I just want to talk about it for just a second. I want to walk through kind of what he's saying here. What God has joined together, let no man separate. God created humanity unique, uniquely as male and female. He does this to, uh, by, by, Jesus talks about each of these sections. He mentions them by name. And so it, prior to this time, when, when people thought about, you know, marriage in this culture, really, if you were a female, it didn't, you know, your view didn't matter. You were just kind of a, a transaction in the peace. And that wasn't right. It wasn't right. And so Jesus comes along. He says, no, I'm going to fix this. What happened was is that your father decided who your husband was going to be. And then the transaction wasn't between you as the wife and the husband. The transaction was between your father and him. That's what it was. But Jesus said, from the beginning of time, God made male and he made female. Both are important. Jesus declares that maleness and femaleness are both in the creative will of God and foundation for marriage. And as a sovereign creation, man is not the subject of, of uh, or, or woman is not the subject of man, but it's his equal. It's his equal. In the Ten Commandments, we understand that we have to honor our parents. It's the only second commandment to honoring God. That's when, when the, the, Moses is listing out the Ten Commandments. Hey, honor the Lord your God and don't make any idols to him. And then he says, honor your parents. Submit to your parents. Honor your parents. But then Jesus says here that man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Jesus says that man will leave his parents and hold fast to his wife. Allegiance now moves from the parents to the spouse. This makes marriage second only to obedience of God in its sacredness. Do you treat your spouse as a sacred gift of God? Do you treat your spouse as a sacred gift of God? Pastor, you don't know how much she's changed. Well, Pastor, you don't know she didn't do what I asked her to do. Well, Pastor, you don't know that, that you know, he snores at night. Well, Pastor, you, you don't know that she loses her temper with the kids. That's not, it doesn't matter. Is your spouse treated by you as a sacred gift of God because that is what they are. By elevating the marriage relationship, Jesus now removing the requirement to honor our parents. No, obviously he's not doing that. But instead it speaks to the sacredness of this relationship. When this happens, something new is created by God. And this is what Jesus says here. 
the union of the husband and wife were once two people, now it forms one flesh. And then he says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God is the one who put you together. God is the one who is creating the unity. God is the one who's the Lord over your marriage. Not the husband, not the wife. God is the one who's Lord over the relationship. And in a culture where our desire is to dominate, our desire is to win. That's a joke that they say about me at work all the time is that, man, Jeff, you just want to win. Yeah, I want to win. Uh, most of us want to win. Most of us aren't okay with, you know, uh, well, Suns had another losing season this year. I mean, like most of us aren't okay with that, right? We want to win. We want to say, yeah, let's do it. But what happens is in our relationships, we desire to dominate the other person. And what you need to realize is that that is a result of the fall. That is the result of sin. God wants to pull us together. God wants to uh, bring us together as one, not one dominating over the other. Bring us together as one so that he is the Lord over the marriage now. Not one of us, but he is the Lord. When we pair this higher view of marriage with Jesus' teaching of deeper love, what was Jesus' teaching of deeper love? Remember this in John 15, 13, he says, greater love has no man than this than someone who lays down his life for his friends. When we pair that teaching with a higher view of marriage, we begin to understand the sacredness of marriage. Later in Ephesians 5, Paul teaches us that marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship, sacrifice, and love for his bride, the church. Therefore, what is sacred to God should always be sacred to us. What is sacred to God must always be sacred to us. If God is going to say, you know what marriage is like? Marriage is like my son who laid down his life to redeem people. And that group of people now is going to be called the church. That's what marriage is like. The church is Jesus' bride. That's, what, that's the analogy that God wants to use. Can you imagine how sacred that is? And for many of us, it's just who we share a checking account with. It's who we share a bedroom with. It's, it's who, it, you know, and so we have to have a higher view of what marriage is. What is sacred to God must be sacred to us. God has a vision for his church. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. I love this passage. It talks about who we are now, and now that God has saved us. It says this, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. Guys, that is good news. All of your mistakes, all of your failure, all of your past, all of your sin, all of your shame, everything that you've ever done wrong, and everything that you've ever done right, everything is behind you, and now you are a new creation in Christ. You are brand new in Him. You are brand new in Christ. Therefore, whatever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is this is from God who through Christ reconciled self. That's a relationship term. Reconcile is when you have an opinion, I have an opinion, and we cannot meet. There's nothing that's going to fix it. It's dead. That relationship is dead. But what reconciling does is it, it pulls us back together. It pulls us back together in, in what, what, what seemed like it couldn't be fixed, what seemed accomplished, God reconciles it. Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us 
reconciliation. That is in Christ. God has was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. If God has a vision for his church and marriage is a representation of that relationship, should then we have a vision for our own marriage? May we consider a vision for marriage that is higher and deeper and stronger than this culture or perhaps you yourself have ever imagined. What is your vision for marriage? As Christ has given the church the ministry of reconciliation, as people are reconciled to God and God is glorified, where sin once ruled over a person's heart, now God rules. As you consider the vision for your marriage, ask yourself, how can your marriage bring glory to God? How can your marriage, how can your relationships, how can your life, how can, how can your home, how can your relationship with your parents, how can this bring glory to God? As we built this series, we talked about how unity is when you bring his perspective and her perspective together. So both of you have a major stake. Both of you have a major voice in establishing the vision for marriage. And men, if I can be really, really honest with you for a second. So many of us, what happened is, uh, well, I'll, just, I'll back up and I'll say this. When I'm doing a wedding, I typically advise young, bride, or young grooms this. Man, you have been thinking about that wedding ceremony since probably, I mean, let's just be really aggressive and give you the benefit of the doubt. You've been thinking about that wedding ceremony since the first time you spoke to her right? She's been thinking about that wedding ceremony since the first time she spoke, right? It's been her whole life. She's been thinking about what this day is going to look like and how's it going to be. And I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be uh, my kids, my youngest daughter, or she calls it the flower princess. You know, I'm going to be the flower princess and all this stuff. And so like, like you've been, she's been thinking about it the whole time. And so I, I tell guys, Hey, look, man, if push comes to shove, let her make some decisions there because she's been thinking about this way longer than you have. Just let her do it. And what happens is that that's actually really good advice. But what happens as men is we take the back seat on the day of the ceremony and we just stay in the back seat. Our whole life is about getting out of the house, conquering out of the house, winning out of the house, and we just say, you know what, I'm going to let my wife handle whatever's happening at home. But what needs to happen, because Jesus talks about how God created male and female, he's supposed to leave his father and mother and, and be of one flesh with her. Because of that, it takes both of you to have a successful marriage. Guys, you have to engage. Sure, let her have the day, but come back in. You got to get back in the boat. You got to start pulling again. Both of you have a major stake. That's a major voice in establishing the vision for your marriage. Many of us just continue letting her take the lead when it comes, but we just can't do that. The stereotype is that a man is more interested in and responsible for success outside the home, and the woman is responsible for success inside the home. May you not be a stereotype. If both of you are sitting side by side in a boat, how many of you guys have ever sat in a boat and pulled an oar before? Like everybody, yeah, all right. What happens if I'm sitting right beside someone in the oar and I'm just letting them pull the oar on their side. Are we going anywhere? No, the boat's just spinning in a circle, right? That's all it's doing. It's not going anywhere. 
Like she's just turning the boat around and around and around and around and around and she's getting tired and she's getting irritated with me, right? For us to go anywhere in marriage, we both have to sit down together. We both have to pull at the same time, pull in the same direction. And when we do that, we end up going places. We're not spinning our wheels. We're not going around in circles. And so men, you have to engage. Women, you have to engage. God needs both of you engaged for you to become one flesh. And when he's the Lord, good things happen. So what's the vision for your marriage? Write it down. As the old saying goes, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. How many of you have heard that before? If you aim at nothing, you will hit nothing every time. And some of us, we are frustrated in our marriages. We're unfulfilled in our marriages. Things aren't the way that we need them to be. Our relationships aren't where they need to be. Not because uh, we, we are not trying, but because we're not aiming at anything. We're not desiring to hit anything. We don't have a goal. We don't have a target. We don't have something to say, hey, that's what, that's the, what I'm going for. The Bible talks about in Proverbs where if there is no vision, people perish. People cast off restraint. People do their own thing. People row the boat in circles. And so we have to have a vision for our marriage, a vision that glorifies God, a vision that honors each other, a vision that has a higher definition of love, a vision that says, I want to constantly grow, a vision that says, I'm not going to be picking you apart all the time, a vision that says, we're going to teach our kids how to have healthy relationships because they're going to be looking at us and this is the first relationship that they see in the world. I used to joke all the time, man, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to do or say anything that my kids have to go get counseling for later in life. That's nothing against counseling. You need it. I've been to it. It's great. But I don't want them looking to me and thinking, oh, Dad, Mom, they were just going counseling. No, we have to have a vision for our marriage. We have to have something that we're just, I'm just going to glorify God. I'm going to honor God in my marriage. Many couples actually create a vision statement for their marriage. Now, I'm going to talk to you guys really, real quick about how to do that. Just really practical how this works. Creating a vision statement helps you keep your focus on the central goal. It, at Connective Church, our vision statement is this. We exist to connect people with God and with each other, right? With God and with each other to grow strong families and transform our community. That's our vision statement. So that's the target that we're going for. That's what we want to hit, right? And so a lot of times you can create a vision statement for your family. You can say, hey, this is who we are. This is what we want to be. This is what we want to be about. And how to do that, there's four simple steps to do that. And, and what we can do is we can send this out to you guys if you want, or you could just uh, get it from the screens here. Um, but real quick, I'm just going to walk through how to create a vision statement for your marriage. Number one, start by writing all the words that describe your ideal of marriage. Use nouns, verbs, and adjectives, things like service, hope, love, peace, things like that. Write down any word that you want to describe your marriage. From that, number two, make sentences that inspire you, that drive you, and that describe your dreams as a couple. So we're going to write words down, just random words, what we want to be. This is things we want to be. I want to I be a home of peace. I want to be a home of love. I want to be a home of service. Like, I'm just going to write these things down. And then I'm going to take those things and I'm going to say, all right, from that, let me write a couple sentences about what this needs to look like. 
right? After that, keep on working on the keep working on those sentences until you as a couple have your ideal picture of marriage. Until you're like, okay, yeah, we agree with that. Both of us agree with that's what, what this should look like. So keep on working on those sentences until you do it. So again, bunch of words, whittle it down to sentences, and then keep on uh, honing it down until you have just a couple of sentences that describe your ideal picture of marriage. From that, you've got your vision statement. Now what do you do? You put it in a place, you hire someone that can do the really fancy calligraphy because everybody loves that right now, right? Put it in a place to where you see it, you read it daily, and you memorize it. Here's a couple of examples of a marriage vision statement. Number one, we encourage each other and invite the Holy Spirit to guide us in strengthening and giving significance, openness, and forgiveness toward each other. That's what a couple wants to be. We encourage one another and invite the Holy Spirit to guide us in strengthening and giving significance, openness, and forgiveness towards one another. Another one. We live to serve each other, and by serve, serving each other, we live. We're deliberate in setting aside time for each other. What I want as your pastor is I want you to have a higher view of marriage. I don't want us to get so caught up in the day-to-day. I don't want us to get so caught up in going through the motions. I don't want to get so caught up in the next bill we have to pay or the next kid we have to raise or whatever the next thing is that we got to do. I don't want to get so caught up in the next thing that we lose a higher vision for what God has put in our lives. Your spouse is sacred to you. Your spouse is God's sacred gift. Get a vision for your marriage. We're going to take a moment right now and um, just let's go ahead and um, I know I said I was going to do this before, but I didn't. Let's go ahead and pass out communion cups. We're going to take communion, close the service out a little bit differently than we did um, the, the previous time. So we're just going to pass these down. Take your time. There's no rush in getting these out. But if you're here with your spouse, I want you to take communion with them. If you're not here with your spouse, that's fine. You can um, You can just, you know, Pray over your own marriage. If you're, like I said, if you're a teenager, you think you're going to be married one day, hey, now's the time. Now's the time to start making decisions, to start setting aside things. Develop a vision board. Develop a Pinterest board that's a whole lot better than what dresses you're picking out. It's going to be how you act in your marriage. I got it. Get in the back. Get Jeff one. Oh, we got one. Okay. We're going to close out today a little different. Since marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship with the church, we're going to end this series by taking communion together. And guys, those of you guys who serve in the back, if you want to come down and take communion with your spouse, come on down. Ain't nothing going to break back there. I promise. Part of the reason why they established communion in the early church 
wasn't just so that we would remember what Jesus did for us. Because we do forget. We get busy. And so Paul's saying, hey, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you do this, remember what I did for you. But what happens is, is when we do this together, when we take communion together, spiritually something happens in that act. Unity forms. And so where there was division before, where there was conflict before, where there was doubt, we realize that the issues, the cares of this life, the issues that I'm facing, the struggles that I'm facing, the argument that we had over the bill or the argument that we had on the way to church, whatever it was, is not that big of a deal in light of what Jesus has done for me. And so the act of taking communion is not just so that it recalibrates you to remember what Jesus did for you. The act of taking communion is also a step in unity. And what you can do as a couple, what you can do as a husband and wife is you can take communion together. You don't have to be at church for this, right? It doesn't have to be fancy. You can go to Walmart, get you some Walter's grape juice, and get you some saltine crackers and do communion on your own. I promise you, as your pastor, I bless it. All right, you can do that, right? You can do that because what happens is, is when we take the bread and we drink the cup, and we bless it in Jesus' name, and we, at, we, we do it as a sacred moment, we remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us, but it also unifies us together. And so today, maybe you and your spouse have had a rough patch. Maybe you and your spouse, maybe you and your family, maybe you and your kids have had this conflict that you guys have been dealing with. Whatever it is, what I want to do is I want to end this series taking communion together to remind us what this should be about. Every relationship that you have is there for the glory of God. Every relationship. Your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with, with your spouse, your relationship with your teachers. Every relationship you have is there to glorify God. Why? Because you were created in the image of God to have a relationship with God. You are fulfilling your purpose of being created when the relationship that you have goes with God. And so as we take communion today, my prayer, I don't, I mean, there's, there's, you know, we, we honor this, this is a sacred moment, but taking communion right now is not going to fix every issue that you have. It's not. You know what will fix every issue that you have? giving it to God, being humble, and making Jesus the main thing. That'll fix it. As we take communion today, may we be reminded of what Jesus did for us. You can go ahead and peel the top part off. And uh, that'll get you to the little bread piece. Go ahead and take it out. And First Corinthians tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said that this was his body. That when we take it, when we meet together, we do this in remembrance of him. So what I what I like to do is as just as I take it, I like to break it. To remind myself that Jesus was broken for me. So let's go ahead and break it. And let's pray. Jesus,
Forgive us, God, if we've been distracted. Forgive us, God, when we are apathetic. Forgive us, God, when we don't put the value on the relationships that we have, that we need to. And God, as we prepare to take this bread, the bread that signifies your body that was broken for us, let us be reminded about the main thing. And that's we were forgiven. We were washed. We were cleansed. What seemed like it couldn't be reconciled was, was reconciled by your work on the cross, by your body being broken for us. And now every relationship that we have because we've been reconciled. We can now reconcile relationships. We can now bring glory to God because we're a new person. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken. In Jesus' name. First Corinthians says that after he took the bread, he, he took the cup, and you guys can just kind of peel off the next little layer there. Get to the juice part. He said of the bread that this is my body, but he said of the, 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 the cup, he said, this is my blood. It was poured out for you. Isaiah says that by his stripes we are healed. By the blood that he spilled, we are healed. And so Jesus wanted us to remember that by the blood that he poured out for us, that's how we have our healing. That's how we're reconciled. That's how we're put back together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was poured out for us on the cross. God, so many of us are broken. So many of us struggle with what we see in the mirror. Decisions that we've made. Our doubts, our fears, our anxieties. But your word says that by your stripes, we're healed. Thank you for your blood that was poured out for us. Thank you for your blood that was spilled for us. For the sacrifice that you made so that we can be whole. And as we become whole, as your Holy Spirit does the work inside of each of us, let that build healthy relationships with everyone we come in contact with. Thank you for
Guys, as we close this series out, if I could leave you with one thing, treat every relationship that you have sacred. We see each other's warts. We see each other's flaws. We see each other's uh, insecurities. We see each other's doubts. And because of that, what happens is, is this familiarity breeds content. We lose the sacredness of the gift of people that God put in our lives. Keep your marriages sacred. Keep your relationship sacred. Keep your relationship with your parents, your relationship with your kids. Keep it sacred. In Jesus' name.